0: by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Tritan Well Service third quarter results conference call. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star, then one on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to Brad Fedora, President and Chief Executive Officer. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you very much. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to thank you for attending the TRICAN conference call. With me today is Scott Mattson, our CFO, and Todd Toohey, our COO. Um, I'd like to please refer you to our website, www.tricanwellservice.com, and on that website you will find the disclaimer that we'd like you to read in conjunction with this call. First, uh, Scott Nathen, our Chief Financial Officer, will give an overview of the quarterly results. I will then address issues pertaining to current operating conditions and near-term outlook. Uh, We then open the call for questions, and uh, the three of us will be available here to answer any questions that anybody may have. I'd now like to turn the call over to Scott.
2: Thanks, Brad. So again, just before we begin, I'll point out this conference call may contain some forward-looking statements and other information based on current expectations or results for the company. Certain material factors or assumptions that were applied in drawing conclusions or making projections are reflected in the forward-looking information section of our Q3 2021 MD&A. A number of business risks and uncertainties could cause actual results to differ materially from these forward-looking statements and our financial outlook. Some of these risks and uncertainties may be further amplified due to the ongoing effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and please refer to our 2021 annual information form and the business risk section of our MD&A for the quarter ended, September thirtieth, twenty 2021, for a more complete description of the business risks and uncertainties facing Trican. So during this call, we'll also refer to several common industry terms and use certain non-GAAP measures, which are more fully described in our quarterly MD&A. And as Brad noted, our quarterly results were released after the market closed yesterday and are available both on CDAR and our website. So with that, we'll talk a little bit about the quarter. Uh, Most of my comments will draw comparisons to the third quarter of last year, and I'll also provide a bit of commentary with respect to our results on a sequential basis as compared to Q2 of 2021. So the quarter started off strong with positive momentum, momentum continuing out of a very solid Q2 with a generally positive Q3 with continued strong commodity prices driving improved activity levels across all of our service offerings. Revenue for the quarter was $164.5 million, a step change up sequentially from Q2 levels as we moved out of breakup and into the back half of the year, and up more than double compared to the $74.1 million we saw in Q3 of last year. WTI averaged just over $70 per barrel during the quarter, up sequentially from an average of about $66 a barrel through Q2, and up significantly from an average of around $40 a barrel in Q3 of 2020. Eco gas pricing averaged about 3.39 dollars per MCF for the quarter, which was also up sequentially from Q2 levels and quite a bit stronger than the $2.14 per MCF we saw this period last year. Continued strength in commodity prices resulted in an average Western Canadian rig count of approximately 160 during the quarter, up compared both to Q2 of this year and to the same period of last year. The rig count through October has continued to climb a bit And we do expect it to continue to pace higher as we move through the remainder of this year and into what looks like a very strong winter drilling season. These factors led to higher activity levels across most of our service lines compared to the same period of last year and as compared to Q1 of this year. Sorry, Q2 of this year. Continued stronger activity, ongoing improvements in the efficiency of our operations, and continued focus on profitability, including the structural fixed cost improvements we've implemented over the last 12 to 18 months have led to significant improvements in all key financial categories as compared to Q3 of last year. Fracturing operations were up sequentially from Q2 of 2021 and significantly busier as compared to the same period of last year. Profit pumped was up 84% as compared to Q2 of 2021 and nearly triple as compared to last year's Q3. We maintained six fracturing crews throughout the quarter with utilization increasing to 85% for Q3 of 2021 compared to 42% in Q2 of 2021, as we came out of breakup and into a period of much higher activity. Operations continue to be heavily focused on pad-based locations, which helps minimize both downtime and travel time between jobs and improves our overall efficiencies. Fracturing margins remained healthy through the quarter and were a significant factor in the strong financial performance of the company for the third quarter. Our cementing division also had a good third quarter. Strong activity driven by the overall increase in rig count, with activity skewed towards larger jobs resulting from primary work in the Motany and Deep Basin areas. Coil tubing activity was down a bit sequentially, but utilization was backstopped by a number of core customers. So as expected, with continued increasing activity levels, we are seeing inflationary pressures on all sides. Costs for our key inputs, such as fuel, cement, Chemical and sand have all seen increases in the past few months and the pressure is constant. Our supply chain group has done a great job in getting ahead of these and managing these trends, but they continue to come at us on a daily basis. Our focus remains on controlling costs and passing along these increases as much as possible to help preserve our margins. Adjusted EBITDA came in at 31.2 million, a significant improvement over Q3 of 2020 and just over double our EBITDA from Q2 of 2021. It's important to note that our adjusted EBITDA calculation does not add back cash-shuttled stock comp expense, which was $1.1 million for the quarter. This expense fluctuates along with the movement in the company's share price, which saw an appreciation of just under 11% over the term of the quarter. It also includes expenditures related to fluid end replacements, which totaled $2.3 million during the quarter and were expensed in the period. Also of note, this quarter contained virtually no contributions from the Canadian Emergency Wage and Rent Subsidy Program, as compared to the prior two quarters, which saw significant contributions from those programs. On a consolidated basis, we generated profits from continuing operations of just over $9 million in the quarter, or $0.04 a share, and we're very pleased to show positive earnings on a year-to-date basis. We generated cash flows from operations of about $8.8 million for the quarter, following strong operational performance. Uh, but did see an expected increase in working capital through the quarter as our activity levels increased. Capital expenditures amounted to ten point six million, uh, which was split between our capitalized maintenance and our ongoing capital projects. The company's full year twenty twenty one capital budget remains at fifty eight million, with approximately twenty million of that allocated to maintenance and infrastructure capital requirements and thirty eight million allocated to growth capital. The growth capital amount is primarily related to our previously announced program to upgrade conventionally powered diesel pumpers with CAT Tier 4 Dynamic Gas Blending Engines. These engines can displace up to 85% of the diesel fuel required with cleaner burning natural gas, thereby reducing carbon dioxide and particulate matter emissions. These upgrades are a key part of Trican's overall ESG strategy and are a prime way of supporting our customers in meeting their individual ESG goals as well. We exited the quarter with thirty seven point six million in cash and cash equivalents on hand, positive non-cash working capital of sixty-six point five million, and no drawn bank debt. Finally, with respect to our normal course issuer bid program, we were quite active in the market during the third quarter. Repurchased and canceled just over seven million shares at an average price of about two sixty a share. And we continue to view share repurchases as a good long-term investment opportunity. Or portion of our capital in the context of returning capital to our shareholders. So with that, I'll turn things back over to Brad, who will walk us through uh, his views on operating conditions and a bit of our strategic outlook. Okay, thanks, Scott. Uh, I'm going to make some general commentary, and I'll try
1: to keep my comments as short as possible, but give you a bit of a flavor of the marketplace that we're working in today. Q3 was a really strong quarter you in, in, in the context of what's happening out there. We started uh, very strong in July and we were very active with a core group of customers. We were on large pads that enabled us to work efficiently through most of the quarter. The quarter began with about 140 rigs running and we averaged just under 160 rigs for the quarter. Peaked at about 172 at the end of September and we're currently back down to about 165 rigs and we seem to be sort of maintaining that level now for the last month or so. And just in general, when you think about the rig count um, and frack demand, I mean, generally what you want to do is, is deduct the heavy oil rigs from the rig count and then divide the remaining number by about five. And so there's you know, there's roughly five conventional rigs per frack crew. And so that gets us to to about 26, 27 crews today, which is, in fact, what we have. So the market's generally quite balanced. Um, we maintain really good market share in our cementing group. Roughly 30, 35 to 40% of the market. And our cementing is, is very much focused in the deep basin and the Montany and both BC and Alberta. Um, COVID did have an impact on the quarter. Even though it was a good quarter, we actually had expected it to be better. Um, you know, we had rigs down in the second half of the quarter, you know, starting in sort of late August and throughout September, there was definitely reduced activity levels just due to the sort of the COVID, um, case. You know the case spike that alberta experienced that took rig down and of course that means there's less demand for frac crews we did have our own COVID issues in the field that uh, made some of our operations slightly less efficient although you know we have we do have enough staff that you know we can respond very quickly to any issues that we may encounter and and the delays in our operations are they're extremely short-lived um, but even the delays of the office by the by the office staff in Calgary you know we did think actually impacted the quarter um throughout the quarter we pumped about 480,000 tons of sand 277,000 of those were internally sourced meaning that the customer supplied the raw you know in general that's that's not really a negative but certainly isn't a positive trend you know we do typically charge corkage for customer supplied sand but Um, You know, we do want to keep an eye on that, and we want to make sure that we don't reduce our opportunities to make a profit. And so we generally try to to gravitate towards customers that allow us to provide sand and chemicals. About 60% of the profit that was pumped in Canada was Ottawa White versus the domestic um, source sand. And Ottawa White almost invariably comes from the U.S. We continue to see increases in the ton of sand pumped per well. You know, as customers remain focused on on these resource plays and placing more sand on a per meter basis to get as much to get as much gas flow as possible, and we get asked a lot, you know, what inning are we in with respect to you know sand sand tonnage for well? And the, and the answer is, we really don't know, but you know, we do think we're sort of in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning of how much sand goes into a well. And what we're seeing now is there's you know there's still everybody's still gravitating towards the standard tried you know, and true method but there is a little bit of experimentation with respect to less or more sand on a per well basis or just even the spacing so it's always very difficult to to tell you what inning we're in with respect but it's in general it's a positive trend and um, you know generally means more revenue per well for us our areas of focus have, has not changed we're very focused in the bc and alberta montney and and the deep basin we are we are active throughout the basin but you know certainly 80 plus percent of our revenues would come from the from the deep basin and, and the Montney play in general. And even though commodity prices or gas prices have really spiked, you know, obviously so is oil, and so activity has picked up in all areas of the basin. But we remain focused um, with the Montney and the deep basin. From a crew from a crew perspective, nothing's changed. We we ran with six frac crews throughout the quarter, about 17 cement crews, and about six six coil crews and in fact we we still sit there today you know on the pricing side we've been really vocal about the need for price increases since early spring i think it was you know year end 2020 and after q1 of 2021 I, i i was quite vocal about the need for price increases and and you know generally i would i was regrettably i would say achieving those price increases were much harder than we expected We just did not get any support uh, from our competitors. Um, You know, we're still, even to this day, seeing um, some stintes that would absolutely shock you in the context of what's happening. You know, E&P cash flows are at record highs, so our strategy hasn't changed with respect to moving prices up. Um, We're just trying to run a sustainable business. Um, And I think, actually, the customers appreciate the need for a price increase more than our competitors do. Um, you know, because they, they know we're not gouging them. We're just, we're just trying to run a sustainable business. Um, but, you know, definitely prices need to go higher. You know, fortunately, we didn't, we didn't necessarily get the price increases we did, we were looking for, but we did get them. Um, so we, we did offset, more than offset inflation. And, you know, the customers were very receptive to us passing on any inflationary cost increases that we were, we were experiencing. You know, late in the quarter, we, we we did we did talk about price increases again and we have had price increases recently in all of our service lines, particularly fracturing and cement, um, as you know we're we're basically operating at full capacity as an industry. We expect inflationary costs to continue. Um, there's not that's certainly not going away and we'll stay diligent on, on sort of informing our customers about those costs and making sure that we can recover those costs to avoid any kind of margin erosion. On the cost side, you know, I'm, I'm happy to report that we've kept our G&A and our fixed costs constant, um, even reduced them in certain areas. So as the activity and the revenues have gone up, you know, we're we're diligent about making sure we keep our costs down. We've implemented lots of initiatives throughout the company over the last few years, and we're continuously looking for, for new ways to manage our company more efficiently. And And what this means is as obviously as costs, um, stay constant as revenue is going up. You know that that ratio gets better, and and that's what operating leverage is. And that's the great thing about the pressure pumping business. Um, in an up cycle, it's um, it's fairly exciting, and there's lots of operating leverage. You know, because we kept our our cost our cost constant in, in an increasing market, we did have good EBITDA and free cash flow in the quarter. And I really want to focus. I want to try to focus the conversation around free cash flow, just given given the age of the fleet whether it's in Canada or the US doesn't matter but just given the age of the fleet I mean the maintenance whether it's expensed or capitalized or doesn't matter how you treat GNA um, whether it's on the income statement or it's in the divisions. you know I want to make sure that you know we talk less about EBITDA and more about free cash flow because of course that's all that matters and free cash flow sort of catches everything and so I, I think we need to sort of get away from focusing on EBITDA and talk more about free cash flow just to just to uh, account for all the differences in how people, how people treat maintenance and, and GNA. and Now, on the supply chain and on the supply chain side, I mean, it, it's certainly an area of concern. Um, you know, it's been a major issue in managing our, bis- our business throughout these higher activity levels. We've done a very, you know, our group, you know, I'd like to thank our group continuously because they've done a fantastic job of managing our supply chain and making sure that we have products on a timely basis at good prices. Um, But, you know, the entire supply chain industry-wide, whether it's, you know, parts, chemicals, sand, doesn't matter, it's all starting to feel stressed. And as we know, you know, they're better at passing on price increases than we are. Um, So, you know, we're actively working with our suppliers to ensure that, you know, we not only have good prices, and and we have long term relationships, making sure we actually have the products when they're needed. Um, we had, as expected, we we had inflation across the entire supply chain in the last sort of six months, especially. Although I have to say, the inflation was less than we expected. You know, things like um, diesel obviously floats with oil price, but third party trucking and logistics, the the, the demand for those. Those goods and services are much higher than the supply. You know, on the sand side, tier one sand suppliers out of the U.S. are basically operating at capacity because it's not just what the mine can produce, but it's how much of that sand can you put in a rail car. You know, there's only so many so many rail cars available, so many rail lines uh, operating in Canada, and so that system feels fairly stressed. And uh, you know, the increased sand volumes that we're that we're pumping is putting a strain on our logistics and. You know, we've now you know, sort of, we've had to focus on making sure that we have access to transload facilities, particularly in northeast D.C. But again, you know, our our supply chain group has done a fantastic job at making sure that this has been generally seamless through um, what has been a very sort of stressed inflationary environment. On the chemical side, you know, we've all seen what's happened to to uh, shipping costs and, and container availability. You know a lot of the core, you know the core uh, chemicals that make up the, the fluids that we or the fluid systems that we sell, they do come from China and the U.S. and so we've we've anticipated the delays that we have have actually been experiencing, and we're always looking for substitutions and working with our suppliers to make sure that. You know we have the supply that we need at a at a reasonable price, and again, uh, I think we've done a really good job of that. On the cement side, we experienced lots of cementing product issues, but the summer construction season is over now, so we're, you know we should be good for the winter. And you know even things like hotel costs, just you know due to COVID, with the, the labor shortages that we're experiencing, on you know, in the hospitality sector, you know it's, it, everything's been affected and. It's just all that happens is you you know, you have to make sure you're doing a much better job at managing that and the companies that manage it well um will be rewarded. So the outlook for the rest of the year and into twenty twenty two, I mean we have fairly good visibility, I would say, until break up and, and our schedule is very busy until breakup. You know, E and P cash flows are at near at all time highs almost. And you know, their wells that they're drilling are paying off in, in, in a matter of months, you know, not a matter of years. And that's a good thing. You know, uh, we certainly need our customers to make money so that the industry can be healthy. And, you know, as a result, we've had a really good start to Q4. Uh, October is very busy. You know, we should be busy right up until Christmas. You know, December is always a bit of a – it's always – you know, it's quite it's unpredictable, you know, just because you have winter weather and, and it's hard to know when the when the season will shut down around Christmas. But, you know, the indications we're getting from customers is that – You know, we're going to start up immediately after Christmas, and by the time Q1 starts, we should be running almost full blast. So, you know, we're looking forward to a good Q4 and a a really good Q1. You know, the basin and our certainly our 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 service remains very focused on sort of gas plays. You know, both obviously gas prices and condensate prices are extremely high, and so we're seeing lots of activity there. But you know, even the oil plays at these levels are very attractive, and so. You know, the whole basin is busy, and it's it's really stressing the system, which, you know, generally is a, is a good thing. You know, the rate count has stayed steady. We think it'll stay steady for the rest of the quarter, and it'll obviously slow down for Christmas, but we expect that it's going to immediately uh, pick up. You know, we, regardless of what you're hearing, you know, we do expect that 2022 will be a busier year than 2021. I mean, how much is very customer-dependent? Um, but our certainly our customers are signaling to us that to expect busier um, busier activity levels and you know that's a great thing is as I was saying you know we're we're basically off there's twenty seven track crews in the basin and all of those are are being used today and so any increases in activity levels which we're expecting um, starting early in Q one will will require you know more track crews on the road and you know that's going to stress the system. That'll drive prices higher. You know, no matter what. You know, our customers are obviously very, very focused on returning capital to shareholders. But um, certainly, at these commodity price levels, they are going to be busier for next year, and that's going to be good for both activity and for pricing. Um, you know, we because of all of that, we are expecting a price increase in uh, early Q1 both just to offset inflation and to return our business to some sort of reasonable, sustainable level so that, you know, we're able to actually generate earnings and reinvest in our equipment. And, and as and you know, as I discussed before, the, the frack fee in Canada is old. You know, the, the most recent frack delivered to Canada was the spring of 2016, and so the equipment has been used hard. Pumping times are long. You know, it wasn't that long ago when pumping times were sort of 14, 15 hours a day, and now they're, they're almost expected to be 22, 23 hours a day. So the equipment's been used hard, which means it's going to need a lot of capital reinvestment to keep the equipment that's running today continuing to run. And if we want to pull equipment off the fence, it's going to take time and money to make that um, that equipment useful in the field. So, you know, because of all of this, we are expecting a price increase um, in Q1 and certainly will be... At the very least, passing on any inflationary costs that we get. Um, From a crew size perspective, like I say, we kept our crews pretty constant, and and we will keep them constant for the remaining of the year. At six-rack crews, in particular, we're always monitoring this. But you know, I'm going to use this opportunity to talk about the the people issues that we're experiencing. The people will be the biggest bottleneck for crew activations for the next year, uh, minimum. And it, it is different this time. You know, you've never seen this kind of market where the, the number of people wanting to work in the oil patch and the demand for those people, um, you know, they've, they've completely separated. And, and certainly we expect this to, to loosen up when, you know, some of these these government programs uh, are shut down and, and just the travel restrictions are loosened with respect to, the, to covid um, but if there's literally every company in the oil field services space is looking to add people. And at the same time, you know, so are the Safeways and Walmarts and hotels and restaurants. So, you know, we really need the government to shut these government these subsidies down to, to get people back to work. Um, because the, the oil patch pays very well. And so once, once we get people wanting to go back to work, you know, we can start recruiting across the country um, and we will attract people back to this industry, but it'll be tough. And we expect that this is probably a permanent change in the way we do our business. You know, now we don't take for granted that we can just hire people when we need them. You know, what we found, we've been actively trying to hire now since Q2, and it's been a lot harder than we expected. You know, we've been fortunate. We have hired, um, you know, we're up over 130 people on a net basis, but we still have more to go. And, you know, as I'm going to talk a bit, talk about in a bit, In order to bring more equipment into the field, you know, we we do need more people, and that that is a challenge. And and what that means is when you're planning sort of equipment reactivations, you know, whether it's parts or people, you know, that cycle of bringing equipment off the fence is certainly going to be longer this time than it has in the past. And, you know, it'll be measured in terms of months, um, not weeks, uh, by no means. You know, and I do. It's probably a good point for me to talk about, you know, the basin in general. When we talk about increasing activity levels, you know, the market is sort of perfectly balanced uh, from a supply and demand perspective today, and we expect that that balance to get out of to get out of whack here in 2022. You know, there's about 1.8 million horsepower operating in or available in in Canada. We're operating about 1.2 million, but it's it's. I want to stress that. Out of the 600,000 extra horsepower or, or, or idle capacity that exists today, Trican owns about half of it. And so, you know, when we think about upside in the fracturing or the pressure pumping space, you know, basically half of that upside is is going to come to our company from a just purely from an equipment perspective. So, you know, we're really excited about 2022 and 2023. We think we're extremely well positioned to capitalize on any incremental growth and activity in the space on the technology and ESG side, you know, we're always looking at technology advances within our industry, you know, particularly the digitization of data and that data collections that we can use to be more efficient in how we operate our assets. Um, you know, we'll be we'll be focused on this over the next few years, you know, particularly in the AI space um, to reduce our maintenance costs. You know, it's, maintenance is one of our biggest costs. It's... You know, between capitalized and expense maintenance, it's, it's quite substantial. So, any anything we can do in that space to re, to reduce those costs or even just reduce the downtime is extremely helpful. So, we'll be you know we'll be very focused on the digitization of data in the next in the next few years. You we know, very, very recently released our inaugural 2020 sustainability report. You know, that report can be found on our website. It's uh, it's been very well received. It's a start, and it's certainly not where we're where we're ending up with. You know, we just permanently we just hired a permanent ESG person to to really herd the cats within our company and 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 take on strategic initiatives in the ESG space. And in general, you know, our industry has done a very good job of ESG over the years. But we you know we need to use this sort of investor and and public demand for for more focus on ESG as a platform to to showcase all the things that we've done. And, and, to, and to sort of, you know, publish and, or measure and publish what we've done and, and get those out into the public because, you know, we really have sold, our, sold ourselves short as an industry in the ESG space over the next, over the last five or ten years. And so, you know, I think this sort of focus on ESG is a, is a good thing. Um, not just for us, but for our industry. And, you know, we're really, uh, I think we're taking the lead on that and, we're allocating resources internally to make sure that you know we get this right, and, and hopefully it becomes a competitive advantage for us. You know, we have a very, obviously very healthy balance sheet, no debt. We have a cash balance, and so we have the flexibility to look at anything. And uh, whether it's you know ESG technology, etc., you know, we're in a very fortunate position to be able to look at anything. And if if it makes sense from a returns perspective, you know, we'll pull the trigger and make those investments. You know, our customers are very interested in new technologies, and in general, I would say. They understand that some of that technology needs to come with a price premium. So, um, you know, we've had great conversations with our customers over the last six to nine months, and uh, we'll continue to do so. You know, we've done a great job on the environment side with reducing emissions, particularly with the new Tier four pumps in you know, idle reduction technology and, and just even our fluid systems to reduce the amount of fresh water that we use. But we've also done a good job on the governance side. And that, the, 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 the woman that we've hired, you know, she's going to make sure that we we up our game on the social side. Uh, so the S component of the ESG. And uh, we're going to make that part of the company's culture going forward. And and that hopefully will distinguish us from the marketplace. So just I'm going to make some comments. I'm not going to talk about the capital in detail. You know, we're happy to take questions on that. But I am going to talk about the Tier 4 engine upgrade that we've been doing. And so we will be activating the first Tier 4 fracturing fleet in Canada. And that will be coming this November. The pumps are now going into the field as we speak. Um, you know, we're extremely excited about this and proud to be the first company to roll out a low emissions fleet in Canada. We expect that this will be the standard in the next few years. Um, we have had some delays in manufacturing, but nothing significant. And an actual fully functioning spread with, you know, 100% GGB engines on it. We should have in the field operating by November, and, and, of course, that fleet is going to terminate. And, you know, so we – previously we had said that that will be our seventh frack crew, and actually we, we have changed our mind on that. We are going to stay at six frack crews, and uh, we just don't have the people to put the seventh frack crew on the road right now. And so this new Tier 4, um, you know, gas engine frack uh, pump will displace the old Tier 2 diesel equipment that we've been using and and so we are expecting that we're going to get our staff in place to call this the seventh spread for sort of January 1 Um, and you know certainly we seem to be on schedule for that and if if we haven't had any cost overruns initial reports from the field on on this on the on the few pumps that are out there already have been really good Um, we've been getting great gas substitution which of course is the idea behind this technology. We, you know, we get up to 85% diesel displacement, which is a big cost savings for the customer, and, and just as importantly, it's it's, it's helping reducing emissions um, from diesel and from methane. But, um, so we're very happy with how the equipment has performed to, uh, to date. Um, it is important to note that this equipment is priced at a premium. You know, I I, I want to make sure that our that our shareholders understand that, you know, of course we're not investing 20 plus million to upgrade equipment and not expecting a return on that investment. So the customers have been, have been receptive to that. They understand that, you know, the cost savings that they're experiencing from a fuel perspective is a positive thing and, and the emission reductions is a positive thing and that, you know, we need to share in that as well. And so we've had lots of great conversations, particularly with Termline on. On getting this equipment to work, but if, you know we are charging a premium price for this equipment.
3: Manufacturing
1: on the second tier four DGD spread has, has already started, and it will continue to to unfold over Q4 and Q1, and so we will have our second tier four natural gas fleet available probably early Q2 of next year at the latest. Um, and, you know, we expect, as I said, we expect this technology will become a standard in the next few years. On the MA side, uh, very quickly, you know, we, are, we remain focused on getting our existing equipment that we own into the field. That's by far the most profitable thing that we can do. You know, our company is set up to, to, operate, uh, to operate a much larger fleet. Um, so anytime we bring a fleet off the fence and put it into the field, you know, all of that yield margin, that contribution margin goes straight to our bottom line. And so by far that is our best investments, you know, and, and when we were buying shares back in book or even sub book or slightly above book, that obviously was a very attractive investment as well. So on the M&A side, you know, we, we're, we're always open for the right transactions and we, we're always looking. Um, but our, you know, our focus is, is differentiating ourselves from an equipment perspective and in getting our idle equipment to work. Um, you know we're always we're always looking we're always available to the right deal, but um, you know we're trying to do what makes the most financial sense uh, for our investors.
3: The new Super Beats Heart Shoes Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit Radio Beats B-E-E-T-S.com, and save 15% with promo code DEAL. Ah, spring.
4: Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about. In your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. Feels like progress. The Chime credit bill, visa credit card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members of FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details.
1: Uh, I think I'll stop the call there, and I'll hand the call over to the operator. So thanks for listening, and we'll take questions from here. We
0: will now begin the question and answer session. Okay. To join the question queue, you may press star, then one on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then two. Our first question comes from Andrew ah. Bradford of Raymond James. Please go ahead.
5: Thank you. Good morning guys. Uh Brad, I wanna uh thanks for the um uh for the comprehensive overview. That was really good, really good uh, update. Um a couple questions here. I, I want to start maybe with the uh, with the tier four equipment. So, as I understand what you just said, that you you change your mind, you're not expanding this to a seventh crew, but that's that is what your plan is uh, starting in January. So, as it comes out in the field, it's simply displacing equipment that was already there. Is that what I'm understanding you to say? Yeah, correct.
6: And it's not. So, so then, we didn't change your
1: mind. We didn't change our mind. We just. Underestimated the, dif- the difficulty in getting people, and so we couldn't staff the seventh crew today, right? And but you
5: anticipate that you will be staffing the seventh crew in the first quarter. Is that
1: what I? Yeah. At? We're we're at least sort of halfway there already, um, you know. So it's it's good. It allows us to you know we haven't had any issues with COVID or holidays or you know the hunting season. You know we're we're able to to operate sort of uninterrupted um, because we do have some extra people. And so we're about halfway done on our seventh crew. So we're feeling confident that we should be good to go by Jan 1. Okay. And just on the
5: labor issues. So, uh, you, you know, as you described some COVID-related issues late in the uh, in the third quarter, and I guess maybe even beginning early in the fourth, Um Maybe, could you describe what kind of protocols you put in to sort of mitigate this impact on yourselves going forward? And then, like, as you do that, maybe describe what kind of impact that's having on your labor shortage issue, because, you know, even if we look just at the healthcare industry, you know, you might expect that that would be a fairly easy slam dunk in terms of implementing vaccination protocols, but still we're hearing that... um, you know people are being uh, dismissed from their jobs and stuff and I, I wonder if uh what you're seeing on the uh in the oil patch
1: now yeah like starting october 15th so roughly a month ago we put in a new policy you know just in response to things were somewhat getting out of hand from a covid positive case perspective in alberta and you know we were seeing it in, impacting our field operations you know luckily you know we we were able to get through it, no problem. But I think we, you know, we took the lead in the pressure pumping space. And about a month ago, we said that effective October 15th, you either have to be fully vaccinated, like two, two vaccinations. We don't care which ones they are. Um, we have to be fully vaccinated, or you have to provide a test um, before you show up for your shift if you work in the field. Um, on your own dime, and you have to take the test on your own time, And if you work in the office, you know, you have to provide a a test result uh, every every Wednesday or something like that. But, I mean, the point of this was there's lots of testing happening on customer locations, but we were having the issue of, you know, people were showing up, getting on a crew van, and by the time they got to the customer location, we found out, well, some of them are testing positive, but now it's too late. They've been in a crew van with 20 people or so, right? And so we want to make sure that before you even show up to our base, you're COVID-free. And that will allow us to plan and, and deal with logistics way better. And we had lots of, you know, lots of griping about it, but I can tell you it, it didn't last long. And and many, many people in the organization, you know, actually sent us notes saying, you know, thanks, right? Like, everybody has their issues, whether it's, you know, uh, you know grandparents or children that, you know, they feel are exposed. They don't want to go to work and get COVID, right? And so they were happy to happy to us for sort of you know lower the lower the hammer on making sure that you know we do whatever we can to make sure that when you come to work one of your safety concerns is not getting COVID from one of your coworkers. Um so we didn't have any problems with it at all. We have literally only locked one person that is refusing testing and refusing vaccines. We have nine hundred and fifty people so we will be just fine. Okay that's good to hear. thank you. Um and
5: uh, like from from your from your discussion uh you said that your you know your clients are um your customers are telling you that you know to expect more demand you, you spoke a bit about reactivating spreads and that you have of the spreads that are available to be reactivated you know half of them belong to you and that this will all require some costs and i think it'd be helpful if you could just sort of maybe just dis- dis- Describe that a bit more. Um, you know, you're, you are going to have a seventh spread working in the first quarter, and it sounds like you're going to have an eighth, much larger spread um, in the by the second quarter. Um, does that sort of fulfill the incremental demand that you're imagining, or that your 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 customers are talking about, or do you think that there's going to be further reactivation beyond that? Yeah, the
1: demand. Like, if you think about 200 drilling rigs. Um, you know, you take out the heavy oil rigs um, and there's roughly five rigs per track crew. Like, we need 35-ish crews. We're not going to get there as an industry. Um, we have 26, 27 today. And as we're finding, we couldn't even add one. <laughs> like We never we never experienced this in the past, right? Like, we, we're, we're struggling to add one. It's going to take six months to add a seventh crew to our to our fleet. So there's no way we're going to get there, and and that's a good thing. Maybe you know, to finally get this price up off the floor from COVID levels, and and uh, you know have real businesses. So you know, we're not at all concerned about the fact that we're adding two crews. Um, you know, our in fact, our stress comes from making sure we can get the people to add two crews. You know, we're we're lucky, we're are we're, we're fortunate that we can afford all the investments that are required. Um, but as an industry, you know, there is significant capital investment to reactivate equipment and significant efforts to get the people to run that equipment, um, and it's going to be very, very difficult to get the 35 crews for next year. Well, okay, happen. I wonder
5: if you could then maybe reconcile for me, so that's, uh, that, this is my understanding as well, but I wonder if you could reconcile that with the idea that you're you are, you are seeing – your existing customers stink by competitors, which can only really happen, I think, if they have windows or if they're trying to secure a new anchor customer or something to that effect. Yeah. But that must mean that they have available space. And I'm trying to yeah. reconcile the tightness of the industry with these windows that you're,
1: that, you're, that must exist across the industry. Now, do you think about that all the time? And Because we're having a hard time making sense of exactly that. I think what it is is, is you know, maybe we just have more um predictability or, you know, our customers are maybe you know, we're 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 lucky to have the customers that are giving us sort of long term scheduling that we're there's we don't have a lot of angst over our schedule in January, February already. You know, it's it's October and already we're you know we're sort of booked for Q one. Whereas, if, you know, if, you, if, if you're a company that doesn't have long-term customers or customers that don't give you, you know, every month you're fighting to fill your board, even though the board gets filled every time, still, you know, you're still anxious about that white space that's a few weeks out. And then it it's just, you know, drives that kind of pricing behavior to make sure that the board gets filled. You know, if they just had a bit of faith, like do some basic math, you know, and you may not see it today, but it will get filled. Right. I mean, we don't have the capacity to take on a bunch of work that we don't already have booked, right? And so it's got to get done. Um, and so I think what's happening is just the the anxiousness over the lack of predictability a couple of months out is driving that pricing behavior. That's. I mean, I don't. That's the best I can do because you know we obviously think about this all the time. Yes. Okay. No, no thank you for that. Uh, last question
5: here, I promise. Um, so you you have um, you're you're currently pushing this the the tier force equipment into the uh, into the patch. Um you'll have that you'll that'll form a seventh crew in the first quarter. You'll have um, another crew, another ESG crew in the second quarter. So and you also said though this will become the industry standard. So for how long do you think that you have this first mover advantage where a tier four crew is differentiated before it becomes before a tier four crew just becomes called a crew?
1: Man, you you, you probably know this better than I do. A year, eighteen months? Eight or eighteen months. Okay. I don't think- like um
5: no, I don't. Obviously, know what our competitors. If you wanted to, but let me ask it slightly differently. If you decided that a third crew was uh, was a good idea, when would you anticipate
1: being able to put that third crew into the field? It would be late next year, if you you know you had the foresight to plan it with with the engine manufacturer. Okay. But it's still starting. So if you
5: ordered yeah, the or order for us today, it would be the end of like, a year and a year from now. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, at least. Yeah.
5: Okay, that's all for me. Thank you very much, guys.
1: Thanks.
0: <clears throat> Our next question comes from Wakar Saeed of ATB Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
7: Um, thank you for taking my question. Um uh, Brad, uh, with you know, rising service intensity, what are you seeing on the maintenance capex for crew or for horsepower? Any numbers that you can uh, share with us?
6: Yeah,
1: I mean, it's generally going up. You know, Todd knows this stuff better than I do, so I'll maybe hand it over to him.
3: It, it's just um, the the run rate or percentage of, of uh, expense has not increased substantially, just in its kind of, uh, in it. Floats with the activity of the equipment and the hours that it's run. So it's inching up slowly, but not, um, you know, it's not taking a, a giant step up.
7: Would it be somewhere in the two and a half, three million dollars per crew on an annual basis?
1: So
7: what was that We Did not quite catch that? Uh, yeah, would the maintenance cap at per crew uh, be around two and a half to three million dollars? And um,
2: uh, higher, higher than probably, that. Probably a little higher than that, Walker.
7: Okay, and, and I was excluding uh, fluid ends that you know that you guys uh, expense. So, so it's, yeah. it's more in the three to five, three to five million dollar range. Yeah,
2: I think, yeah. I think
1: that's probably I, yeah. You know, and just. A lot of it is obviously dependent on the pressures that you're working on, you know, in the, the certain, you know, the, whatever, the customer base that you have, right? So if you're you're doing low-pressure oil, it might be lower than that. But if you're banging away in the Motney, um, you know, at 70 MPA or something like that, then it's going to be high. And it, it also depends, is that a, was that pump built in 2009 or was it built in 2015? So it's, that's why we... We're, we're kind of flaky in our answer because there's so many variables that go into, but it's if you had to model it as an industry average, I mean, I I, I think you're you're safe using five five million a crew per year.
7: Okay, and then um, you know in, in the U.S. Uh, zipper uh, fracks are becoming you know fairly common now, and we're also seeing a lot of the fracks. Are you seeing those trends develop in Canada as well?
1: not new, um, I wouldn't say it's common, but it's, 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 it's my understanding of zipper, what you're saying with the zipper crack where you're, you're fracturing two opposing well bores, that, that's that been happening for quite some time now.
7: Yeah, yeah so zipper crew would be, I think, here in the U.S. to say, like, it's, uh, you fracture one and you're uh, plugging in perforate the next one. Uh, while today uh, days, like you, you faxing both wells at the same time, and then there are two other wells that you are plugging and perforating
1: at the, at the same time. So everything is running. Yeah, that that's uh, common. Yeah. yeah, you're 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 plumbed in, for lack of a better word, to the pad as a whole, and so your your operations are uninterrupted almost. Right, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. so you, you see that in Canada. That would be the norm in 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 the money. oh is that right. Okay, wow
7: Okay, okay good. Uh th- th- that's all I have. Thank you very much. Thanks.
0: Our next question comes from Paul Pereira, Cole Pereira of steeple. Please go ahead.
7: Hey, uh morning guys. Uh you were very active with the buyback in the quarter and obviously you need to continue investing in the fleet. Um, But how do you think about other return of capital avenues, such as a
4: dividend?
3: Yeah, we're looking at that.
1: Um, We do have a growing cash balance, and we're happy to hold cash. Don't get me wrong, but there's only so much cash that should be held. Um, And We're not going to discuss maybe the exact levels at this point, but we do feel we may exceed those sort of internally imposed thresholds um, by the end of next year and, and so certainly you know dividend conversations have started to enter into board discussions but there's not really anything more to report at at this time. Um, you know it is there's a many things to consider when you talk about dividends um, but you know we're 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 bullish you know, for this industry for the next few years for sure.
7: Okay, perfect. That's helpful. Thanks. And I just wanted to confirm as well, uh, so for Q one, you do expect to generate true, call it net pricing, and how confident are you that this doesn't get eroded by a further cost inflation somehow?
3: Boy, it'll get
1: eroded. It's just a matter yeah. of how much. but we you know we do we do think you know, back to the supply and demand of you know the rig count versus the 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 frac crew count. That's going to get out of whack in Q1, and so you know, even the people, the, you know, the companies that that have no vision beyond the end of the week, even they'll respond with pricing increases, and so you know, we'll finally get we'll finally get these prices lifted off the COVID floor and back to something more reasonable. they'll um, you know, when you look at the pricing today versus even two, three years ago, it's the amount of erosion that's taken place is is incredible it's absolutely incredible and yet at the same time the pumping efficiencies have greatly increased and so you know we just have to stop we you know we we need to start running a business properly here as an industry and I think that that will happen in q one
7: okay, great uh, that's all for me. I'll turn it back thanks.
0: Our next question comes from Keith McKee of RBC. Please go ahead.
4: Hey, thanks very much, and uh, good morning. Um, I just wanted to uh, to maybe follow up on the comment you made about sand logistics being tight. Uh, Brad, um, is there any more any more you can say about that? Like, do you do you impact or expect sand availability, uh, whether it's from transportation or or, or actual production to, uh, to impact operations over the next, you know, call it couple of quarters, or is, or is it just a matter of managing the, the tighter logistics? Uh, but but things should be okay.
3: Um, the the sand supply, as Brad mentioned, the sand supply from out of the uh, out of Wisconsin in the U.S. is approaching you know maximum levels of what they can produce or ship to Canada. It's probably, you know, the planning and the logistics part of it and the transloading is an important piece uh, to, to take out the, you know, the high demand cycles or, or try to plan with your customers about reducing the high demand cycles. But, um, you know, there's a higher concentration of activity um, into northeast D.C. So there is some limitations to transloads. Uh, and then, just you know, there's only one uh, one rail line going in there as well. So um, probably near term, no shortage worries, but longer term, definitely needs to be some um, changes or, or increase to supply um, logistics and transportation.
4: Got it. Okay. So is that just on the on the U.S. end, or could it be substituted with uh, with local sand as needed?
3: It, it certainly could be, you know, sometimes that's a customer preference about which, which stand type they would want to use in their in their uh, treatment. So there is uh, adequate uh, tier two stand supply in Western Canada and uh, to fill the void if there was one. Just transportation, again, because the location of that has to come from, you know, central Alberta, mainly up into northeast D.C. There, again, that requires, you know, transportation, whether that's rail or trucking. Got it. Okay, thanks for that.
4: And and one more for me is just to go back to pricing. Don't want to harp on it too hard, but uh, one of your peers uh, hosted a call this morning and discussed, you know, uh, double-digit pricing increases for next year. Call it North America-wide. Sounded like maybe Canada didn't dip as hard in the last couple years as the U.S., so may not increase quite as much. Uh, through, through the next year, but given, you know, the shortage that you foresee in Q1, which meant, uh, perpetuate through the rest of the year, would you have a similar view of pricing, you know, where things will end up throughout next year beyond, and maybe just beyond the, you know, supply demand imbalance you might see in Q1? Or, or are you now, you know, more pessimistic
3: or, or optimistic about, about that level of pricing improvement?
1: Well, I hope he actually opens up the books to his Canadian operation and has a look at his pricing. He certainly needs double-digit pricing increases to even compete with the rest of us. Um, so, yeah, but as an industry, I would think double-digit price increases are likely, you know, by, you know, whether it's Q1 or Q3, it's, you know, it's it's likely... There's just you know this, this is not even a customer resistance issue like this this is a this is a frac company issue. The, the, the price erosion that's occurred is it, incredible, right? it's It's forty percent in the last couple of years. So if uh, if we can all just relax and and you know do some supply and demand work and and get a get more comfortable with where we're going to be. Um, I think that those kind of price increases would be would be totally reasonable.
4: Got it. Okay, that's, that's good for me. I'll turn it back. Thanks very much.
0: Once again, if you have a question, please press star, then one. Our next question comes from Joseph Schachter of Schachter Energy Research. Please go ahead.
6: Good morning, Brad and Scott, uh, and congratulations on the much-improved quarter. I have three questions. Uh, First one, going back to the dividend, which is uh, something you're contemplating with the board in 2022. We saw Arctic do a special dividend because they didn't want to handle uh, a commitment on a regular basis. Are you looking at special dividends if you want to keep your cash balance or if there's any concern about uh, prospects moving forward in the industry if competitors don't – uh, give the pricing you need to, to justify spending
1: more, yeah yeah, right like, it's like dividend discussions are philosophical in nature, and either we understand the issues with service companies paying dividends, and we don't we don't want to put something in and then have to take it out in a couple of years, and that's usually what happens um so when we think about dividends, you know we we think about you know really low base dividends or special dividends or maybe no dividends. Right. I mean, maybe we 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 up our NCIB activity, and and you know we we our return of capital comes in that form. Like we're it's early early days, and we're open to anything, and we're not going to back ourselves into a corner by any means, and, and you know get ourselves into a position where you know we have regrets over what we what we did, and and uh, you know dividends are dividends to me, whether they're regular or special. It's you know I mean I I you know, I'm I'm certainly a fan of the special dividends um just to maintain flexibility, but you know, like I said, maybe you know, maybe we, we allocate the money via the N C I D instead at, um or maybe we find a great uh deal to do next year and and we don't do any kind of dividend for NCID. Like, you know, it's we're evaluating all of our options and, and we'll you know we'll do a thorough analysis and be very thoughtful about what we're going to do. Um, and I can assure you that whatever we decide to do, we you know we won't have regrets over, and, and we'll do whatever's best for returns and what's best for the shareholders.
6: Good. Uh Second question: the the eighth, um crew, hack crew, the tier tier four um, that you're bringing on in the spring of 2022. Um, you've announced the was with customers for the first fleet. Um, is there one customer for that um, second fleet, or is it two or three companies that have done it in a consortium to tie it up? Uh, between them. Yeah, we're still, you know, we we
1: don't like to talk about the customers unless we sort of have specific specific permission from them to discuss it. So I don't I don't really want to talk more about that. But it the 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 equipment would be for our core customer base
6: and. We, just like uh Tourmaline thought it was something to uh um, inform the in the street about because of the USU improvements. Do you think at some point these customers would be wanting to also disclose? And you're just waiting I, I, for them I, to do that?
1: I yeah, I don't I don't want to speak for them, but um
6: Okay. Yeah, Last one for me yeah. is um uh, gross. Um you mentioned um, you know, that uh, there might be something that could be an acquisition. Uh, on slide three of your new presentation, you go through the four quadrants, drilling cycle, completion cycle, production cycle, full cycle, technical expertise. Are you looking at acquisitions to add on top of your three basic businesses right now, or are you looking to grow the three basic businesses? Yeah, we're open to any, any of that.
1: You know, like it's... You you know, you sort of look at at your board of acquisition opportunities, and it's it's all of the above, right? There's 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 things you'd like to do within each division, and there's you know new divisions to add. Um, So we're not like there's there's so many things that go into the evaluation, but you know, first and foremost, it's return on that investment. Um, So we're open to, to any of them.
6: And if you're looking at acquisitions, would it be also to grab manpower? Would that be something where if the equipment was decent and you were able to get the manpower, given the manpower shortage and the question about adding a third um, tier uh, tier 4 unit, would that be something that would fit in the equation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it, whether it's you know, consolidation for cost-efficiency, Used to be the sort of the main motivator, and you know, now it, you know, you, you not only do you get consolidated cons- cons- cost efficiencies from the consolidation, you know, getting crews is a material issue now. Yeah, when, as long super. as the equipment's model modeled and tired, it's something for sure we look at. Yeah, super
0: that's it for me. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks.
0: Our next question comes from Aaron McNeil of TV Securities. Please go ahead.
4: Hey, morning, guys. Thanks for taking my questions. I know it's going a little late today. Brad, just more of a high-level question for you. You know, in the past, you were one of the early adopters of variable salaries and other sort of small things that make big differences to kind of the resiliency of the business. I guess I'm wondering at a very high level and with, you know, consolidation among your customers, is there anything you can do to just, you know, in terms of contract structures or things that kind of, you know, improve the
6: stability of pricing through the cycles?
1: I wish,
5: um,
1: you know, our best opportunity is things like the tier four engine technology where you're truly adding a valued service that nobody else can add. And, you know, the customers understand that it's, you know, it's not, it's not commonplace at this stage and, and, you know, they understand the value of the service that, you know, the, that you're, you're providing. And so, you know, given that, you know, they know what we know, which is this industry has had no investment and it's been, it's been ridden hard and put away wet now for seven years. And so when, when something good comes along, you better grab it. Um, and you better hold on to it um, because, as yes, we all know, you know, it's, the LNG prices around the world are looking pretty attractive, um, you know, and if you actually care about the environment, you'd encourage as much Canadian natural gas activity as possible. So we're really bullish on this industry in Canada for the for the long term, and I think our customers they understand that we're at an we're at an odd point right which is old old equipment uh, at the beginning of what is going to be very very increased demand and so you know we're using new technologies as a way of changing that contract structure and for the most part you know it hasn't been easy you know old habits die hard as we all know right so you know, maybe having to move up the chain a little bit to to get people to understand the value in long term, you know, securing equipment long term. Um, so, the short answer is, on a general scale, no. But on an, you know, certain assets, yes. We we're trying to we're trying to do our best to to get away from this, you know, sort of.
6: If you're only as good as your last well kind of mentality. Understood. My other questions have been answered. I'll leave the back. Thanks.
0: Thanks. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Fedora for any closing remarks.
1: Okay, thanks, everyone. We appreciate your time, and, and we appreciate you dialed in to listen to us. Um, we'll wrap the call up now, but certainly, you know, Todd, Scott, and I are available for questions throughout today and tomorrow. Um, I think everybody knows how to get a hold of us, and we'll do our best to make ourselves available. Thanks again.
0: This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thanks for participating, and have a pleasant day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.
8: Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. You know how to book flights and hotels.